Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning, friends. Our Bible reading this morning is from 3 John, verses 1 to 15, taken from the New International Version. Uh, The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that you may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for your brothers and sisters even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but uh, Diotrephes, who loves to be the first, will not welcome us. So when I came, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to be Uh, want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace with you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by Name, And our second reading is from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verses 18 to 20, NIV. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Amen. Thanks, Eugene. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a light to our feet and a guide to our lives. We thank you that through your word you speak to us, that your word doesn't go out and return without having an effect. And we pray, Lord God, that that would impact us today, that, it would, that we would be people who hear the word and become doers of it. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to minister to us right now, to minister to our hearts and our minds. Lord, we've come from different places, different things this week. Some of us have had busy weeks. Other, other of us might have been feeling lonely. Some perhaps didn't think about coming this morning, but were encouraged to come. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, that we would encounter you afresh this morning. We know that you're here, that you're present by your Spirit. And you want to draw us to yourself. Help us to be open to what you have to say to us. Help us to encounter you afresh and transform us to be more like Jesus, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are some things in life you should never, ever do. And one of them is to read mail that's been addressed to other people. Wendy and I did this once in Malawi. And just let me say for the record that we haven't done it since. Okay, we've learned our lesson. And uh, it wasn't a malicious act on our behalf. In fact, we, when we were living in Malawi, you know, we lived there as cross-cultural workers for 20-odd years. And in the early days, people used to send out food parcels with lots of yummy stuff in them. And some of these food parcels would take quite a while to get there. And by the time they get there, the, pers- the people who were meant to receive them had gone. They'd sort of left or uh, were on home assignment or something like that. And um, uh, yeah, they were usually filled with lots of treats, Tim Tams. And they were like gold, these parcels. They were really precious. And uh, so the unwritten rule of the mission was when you left the field, when you left the mission to go home, other people in the team could, could actually take the parcel and use it. Otherwise, it would be wasted. And, uh, yeah. And one day, Wendy and I had the good fortune of receiving a parcel that wasn't addressed to us, but it was addressed to our colleagues who had gone home, gone back to Australia permanently. And so it was a really nice parcel, full of lots of goodies. And because of this, we thought... We should read the card that is being included in the food parcel that was addressed to our friends. It was from uh, some friends of our colleagues who had sent them this very special food parcel. And it had a special note in them. We'd never met these people, but our friends obviously had a fairly close relationship with them because in the card, the people asked our colleagues how they were getting along with us using very unflattering terms. I mean, it's hard to believe that someone would write that about me. Maybe Wendy, but... (laughs) It's strange what you remember, isn't it? Strange what you remember that's been said about you. That was 27 years ago. 
And I can still remember exactly how we felt when we read those words. They deflated us just like a, a pin would deflate a balloon. We just felt, just felt like crap. And so the memory of that sticks with us today. And so words have power, don't they? King Solomon said in Proverbs 18.21 that words have the power of life and death. Gossip, half-truths, lies, negative, critical and unedifying words are life-depleting. They, they actually kill us internally. And so they're toxic and they can remain. They've got a half-life haven't they? And they can just remain and hang there, although the sort of initial sort of sense that you get from them perhaps wanes, there's still this half-life to them that hangs on in your life. Whereas words of encouragement, truth and uplifting words, they also have power and they have the power to transform your life and the lives of other people. The unfortunate thing is we, we can hear over and over again good things and encouraging words, can't we? Uh, but we don't remember them as much as we do remember the words that are hurtful. We can be devastated by a single comment that's not even accurate. It might be an untruth. It might be a hearsay. It might be a gossip. And yet it can be quite crushing. And so... That's to us individually. But words also have the power. They're not just, uh, they have power not just in terms of life and death for us as individuals. They can also have power for life and death of organisations and companies. And guess what? And churches as well. This is why the Bible has a lot to say about words. It says that words are so serious that they also can cause the life and death of churches. And so this is why Paul said to the church he planted in Ephesus, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a really, really strong word, isn't it? A word of, to, to think about. What, what our words are for, they're to actually help other people to be built up. Paul knew that gossip, rumour and un, unflattering talk destroys, whereas words of encouragement and truth build and give life to people and the community of faith. And so today we're starting a new series. We worked out what the purpose of life is. We covered that in January. hope you were here because it was a good series. If you weren't, if you're still wondering what the purpose of life is, then make sure you listen to those sermons and that hopefully will point you in the right direction. But we're starting a new series today and the, the, um, the title of the series is Key Commitments for a Growing Faith Community or Key Commitments for a Growing Church. What do we, what do we need to be committed to as a community for us to grow, not just numerically, but as grow as disciples of Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to look at essential characteristics that we need to cultivate and that we need to practice as individuals and as a faith community so that our shared life together flourishes and so that our witness and our mission to the wider community around us is effective. 
And so the first commitment we, we're going to look at that we need, we need a commitment to, we need to be committed to cultivating a culture of encouragement. We need to be committed to cultivating a culture of encouragement. Despite what you think, it's not poor quality coffee or hard pews or uh, the early start time at church on a Sunday morning or even you know, a mediocre sermon that puts people off, as we saw in our Mentimeter this morning, uh, puts people off Christianity or being part of a church, it unfortunately most often is the attitudes and the behaviours and characteristics of the people who attend. Ouch. Not me, you say. (laughs) Ouch. Particularly what people say about each other that gives life or brings the death of a community. And so today in the letter that uh, Eugene read out in 3 John, this morning you read your first book of the Bible. That's a whole, we heard a whole book this morning, a whole letter. And uh, so that could be the start of your, your, uh, your yearly pledge to get, get some Bible reading done. But John tells us in his letter, he tells his readers in very plain language, what things build a church up and what things tear it down. John's third letter is only 15 verses long and it's a brilliant sort of compare and contrast sort of appraisal of the way people, different people talk to and talk about each other in a church and the effect that this has on other people in the church and the effect that it has on the ministry of the church and its effectiveness to be on mission with God in the world. And so in this letter, you might have heard three people. There's a guy called Gaius, there's a guy called Demetrius, and there's a guy called Diotrephus. And uh, um, these three people exemplify characteristics that bring life to a church and characteristics that kill a church. And so the reason John is writing his letter is because he's received news that things are not that harmonious in the church that they belong to. And this was something that touched him because he was a guy, he was an apostle, he was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he'd actually planted this church and uh, he knew that, that what was happening was actually impacting the people who attended, but also impacted potential people who weren't there yet, who weren't coming yet. And so John doesn't mess around in this letter. He actually calls out a guy named Diotrephus for his destructive behaviour. And John says that Diotrephus is doing four things that are destructive. He only loves himself. He spreads false stories about people, including the Apostle John. He refuses to welcome missionaries who have been sent by John. And he also refuses to send new people who come to the church. And then he pushes people out of the church who want to welcome those people. And so uh, what's Diotrephus' main problem? Well, he thought that the church was his own private club and that uh, that it was there just to serve him. And he thought that he knew himself what was best for the church. And so John sums up Diotrephus' problem saying, and I like this, he says, he loved to be first. (laughs) He loved to be first. He wasn't talking about in races, he was talking about in everything. (laughs) 
Now, this is a very punchy description, isn't it? It means that Diotrephus had to be in control of literally everything. It had to be his ideas that were carried out. It had to be his program that went ahead. He was sort of a gatekeeper and determined who was welcome and who wasn't welcome. And it might sound a little harsh to us in our sort of modern sensibilities to call him out like that in a letter. But guess what? The reason that John had to spell it out so plainly was because people like Diotrephus don't often see their faults. Many people who act this way don't actually see their behaviour as a problem. They often are oblivious to the effect they're having on others. In fact, Diotrephus most likely wouldn't have thought he was doing anything wrong. He might have thought, well, I'm, I'm actually a guardian of this church or you know, I'm a protector of it. But uh, unfortunately, you know, we might sort of put Diotrephus over here and go, oh, he's a bit of a freak. There's no one like that in this church. And there isn't. I don't think there's a, such an extreme example of Diotrephus in this church at all. But here's the thing. If we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all have a little bit of Diotrephus in us, can't we, at times? Well, you know, it might only be me, but maybe you've also felt the impact of that yourself. The Diotrephuses of this world, they justify their gossip and their slander and destructive talk and behaviour behind sort of misguided beliefs that they're, they're sharing and talking about, you know, about in this way, for the good of the church, for the good of these people. You know, they justify it behind religious sort of language. But one thing that's evident in all of his actions, and John calls it out, is that Diotrephus had taken his eyes well and truly off Jesus and had them where? Focused on himself. And so it's no surprise that you don't find anyone today named Diotrephus, do you? Any school teacher here heard the name Diotrephus in the role? No. His name's forever associated with gossip, false accusations, slander, and for not loving or welcoming new people. He's what we call a cautionary tale. And I love cautionary tales because it means I should learn from that tale and not have to find that out myself the hard way. And so this is great. I love the Bible. The Bible is full of cautionary tales. It means you can actually live vicariously through all these people and not have to repeat their stuff. We should read it more and go, oh, oh is that what happens? Oh, do you do that? I do it all the time. I go, oh, wow, phew. Someone not to imitate, someone not to follow. In verse 12 of 3 John, John tells the church, he says, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Wow. When people gossip or tell false stories about us, it can be it can be tempting, can't it, to sort of return fire with fire, you know? Oh, take that. But this that's not what John's suggesting here. He's um 
He's not suggesting that at all. Because why? Because it's not the way of Jesus. And it definitely won't help a church to flourish, will it? It'll just contribute to the, the demise. And so we might write off him as a bit of an extreme example. And his, his name might no longer be given to children. But his spirit, unfortunately, lives on when we talk about people behind their back and when we pass on gossip as prayer requests or talk about things that have been said to us in confidence without people's permission. Dear Trephus lives on in us when we bicker and we moan negatively about the church and the ministries of the church or the leaders of the church instead of seeking to have constructive conversations as we heard in that verse earlier, that build up. Is your conversation building up the ministry of this church? That's what you've got to ask yourself every time. Am I trying to? Am I being a? Uh, am I being part of the solution? In World War Two, there was a slogan: "Loose lips sinks sink ships." We've got a picture of that up there. If you can move that on for us, that'd be great. The US government used this slogan to encourage people to stop talking in public about the movement of troops and ships and other things associated with the war effort because enemy agents were, were always listening for information so that they could sort of target these transport ships. But the slogan was also, it had another it had another sort of reason as well. It was, had another thing they were trying to, to do. It was meant to encourage people to stop speaking negatively about what the country was doing to win the war. You see, it, it, when you're at war, hard decisions need to be made. And the decisions that are made are not always popular. Decisions need to be made about the allocation of resources or about rationing food or, or fuel. Actions are taken uh, by governments to help uh, focus a nation's wealth and resources and industry and people on making and supplying the essential things that are going to help that country win a war. And so they knew that a country that actually pulled together, a country that supported and encourage these endeavours would actually be far stronger standing together than a country in which people were backbiting and undermining and slandering decisions because this would only lead to, to demoralising people and demotivating people in a, in a time of crisis. And so John's letter here, John's third letter, is, an, an ex, is really... Uh, an expansion of this slogan. And he's saying a similar thing about the church and the ministry of the church. He, he's saying, loose lips sink a church. Loose lips kill a church. But the beauty is that John just doesn't tell us what sinks a church or what kills a church. He also is going to tell us what is going to keep it buoyant, what is going to keep it alive, what is going to bring life to that church. And so he contrasts Diotrephus with two other people in that church, and these are Gaius and Demetrius. And what he says is, don't 
imitate those people. Don't imitate Diotrephus, but imitate Gaius and Demetrius. Because what they're doing and what they're saying is good. We all have a tendency to imitate the people around us. So we need to make sure that we're imitating the right people and not the wrong people. Ultimately, the Bible calls us to imitate Jesus, doesn't it? In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews says something similar. He says, he tells his readers to fix their eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of their faith. And so this brings us to the root of uh, Diotrephus' problem, you see. He wasn't imitating Jesus. He didn't have his eyes fixed on Jesus. He was fixated on himself because he had to be first. One of the keys of being successful in any ball sport is to keep your eye on the ball. It's true in cricket. It's true in AFL. It's true in the beautiful game of football. People who take their eyes off the ball, sooner or later they get out, don't they? I love cricket. But all the time I'm watching, thinking, why did he take his eye off the ball? Sooner or later they get out. Sooner or later they are just unable to score goals. And it's the same with being a follower of Jesus. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, you find that you start to behave in ways that are unhealthy. That's how we move into this uncritical, negative thing. Talk, And so if Diotrephus is a guy who, would, who, sh- who we should not imitate, John gives us two examples of people who we should imitate, who are themselves imitating Jesus. You see, it's not just Paul that's imitating Jesus. It's actually people like Gaius and Demetrius as well. And there are people in this church here who also are people we should be imitating. Gaius was the elder of the church and Demetrius was one of the members. And so Gaius really is the alter ego of Diotrephus. And so John contrasts Diotrephus and shows that Gaius does four things that are opposite to Diotrephus's four things he does. You see, Gaius is faithful to the truth, whereas Diotrephus, he told false stories. Uh, The truth shapes Gaius's life, whereas Diotrephus' love for himself shaped him and, and guided him. Gaius is a man who loves others, which was unlike Diotrephus, who only loved himself. And Gaius welcomed and loved strangers, whereas Diotrephus drove them away. He pushed them out of the church. Now, you might think that this is a simple message with a simple solution. You might think, oh, oh well, I just need to be more self-disciplined. Oh, note to self. I better get a whole bunch of those sticky notes and write on every door frame of the house. But that's about you know learning to speak more truthfully or not telling half lies and so forth. But John is saying something much more here than that. And we need to grasp this because here is the engine room. Here's the secret of being able to cultivate encouraging words in your life. Here's the secret of being able to imitate Gaius and not Diotrephus. 
And so there is more to Gaius' behaviour than self-discipline. There's more to his life of, of him being a person who speaks truth and shows love than just self-discipline. And you might have picked up on it already. You might have picked up it already when you heard the passage read out by Eugene. But in that sort of passage, there are a few sort of sentences which grammatically didn't quite, you know, didn't quite sit well. I don't know if you picked them up, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what they are. But in this letter, there's this sort of wordplay between truth and lies. And so, dear Trephus is one who speaks falsely through accusations and gossip. And he loves himself and pushes people away, whereas Gaius and another man, Demetrius, are said to be faithful to the truth. And here's the phrase, and that the truth speaks up for them. Did you pick that up? The truth speaks up up for them, which is a sort of strange sort of phrase. But here's the thing. This is not poor grammar. John is not just saying that Gaius and Demetrius speak the truth, and Diotrephus speaks lies. You see, John's message is not a try-harder-to-speak-a-truth message sort of message. To understand what John means, we need to understand what John means by the word truth. And in his letter, John commends Gaius for his faithfulness to the truth and for walking in the truth. And he praises Demetrius for being spoken well of by the truth. And so the truth has a very specific meaning for John. The truth is not just a correct statement. It's not just a correct idea. The truth, according to John, is this. It is who God is and how God provides salvation. That's the truth for John. And so the most tangible expression of truth is God's revelation of that in Jesus. You see, Jesus is who God is. And Jesus is how God provides salvation. And so the most tangible expression of of truth is, is Jesus. And so understanding that truth is a person then tells us how Gaius and how Demetrius are builders of the church that they belong to and why Diotrephus is a destroyer of it. There, are big, there is a very big difference between Gaius and Demetrius and Diotrephus. And it's all to do with whether they have experienced and accepted the truth. And so Gaius and Demetrius are both said to be walking in the truth because they've accepted Jesus, they've accepted God's revelation Jesus is God's revelation and have accepted that Jesus is God's way of saving and transforming people. And they are seeking to live according to Jesus' two greatest commands, which are to love God and love people. And that's evident in what they do and how they talk. Whereas Diotrephus is not walking in the truth, he's walking in his own light, he's walking in his own guidance, in his own strength, which is why he has no love. And why he gossips and slanders others because he's not walking in Jesus, with Jesus. Diotrephus is a cautionary tale. And Gaius and Demetrius are examples to follow because they are following Jesus and are empowered by Jesus 
in all that they do. Friends, we need to make a choice, each of us. You need to make a choice. Either you are going to imitate Diotrephus or you're going to imitate Gaius. You are either a builder of Jesus' church or you're going to be a destroyer of it. John says that only a culture of encouragement can build a church and the way that you can become an encourager is by walking in the truth, which is walking in Jesus and drawing power from Jesus to to do that. And so you can start walking in Jesus today. It's, you can start by examining yourself to see if, you, uh, if you're really walking in the truth or if you are trying to walk in your own wisdom and light. Examine yourself and think, well, actually, how am I living? What is my behaviour? To walk in the truth means to believe who Jesus says he is. It is to believe that, that what Jesus has done gives you new life and enables you to be, be a dwelling place for his spirit, for God's spirit who gives you the power to love other people and the power to be an encourager and a truth teller. Another way of saying to walk in the truth is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in your own strength. And it's a daily thing, isn't it? It's not something, it's not a set and forget thing. You don't go, well, yep, I received the Holy Spirit when I became a believer, that's it. I'm never going to sort of think about that again or contemplate that again. It's actually a daily thing, an hourly thing. In fact, Paul told the Galatians that they were to walk by the Spirit so that they wouldn't gratify their fleshly sort of d- desires, which is what Diotrephus was doing and what he was doing was killing the church. And so when we walk in the truth, We actually take on the characteristics of Jesus. This is how we actually speak well, how we become an encourager. And Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, see the, the things that the Spirit helps you with, empowers you for, it says, are love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. See, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's, that's our role. We need to not empower ourselves to do those things, but we need to keep in step with the Spirit who gives us the power to speak those encouraging words and not be negative or critical. And it's these characteristics that were evident evident in Gaius and Demetrius. And here's the final question, friends. Are they evident in you this morning? Are those fruit evident in your life this morning? If you find yourself critical of others, it's not uncommon. If you find yourself gossiping, not feeling like welcoming strangers, wanting to have your own way all the time, being critical 
of worship, or of the preaching, or, or the way things are run in the church, then I want to encourage you to examine yourself today to see if you're walking in the truth, in Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to shape you and, and, and help you cultivate a culture of encouragement in your own life and help you to cultivate a culture of encouragement in this church. And so I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without addressing this for your sake and for the sake of this church and for our mission. At the same time, as you seek to walk in the truth, and this is the key, you can't go on and do these other things without addressing whether you are walking in the truth, without addressing whether... You haven't had, whether you've had an encounter with Jesus. But at the same time, as you seek to walk in the truth, you can also pay attention to your speech in very practical ways so that what you say encourages and builds relationships with people in this community and doesn't tear them down. And there are four things that I want you to encourage you to think about. First, the first thing that you can do is to stop excusing yourself when you say gossip or hurtful things. Stop saying, well, I didn't mean that. Uh, or that's just how I am before my first cup of coffee. You know, Realise that what you say does impact people around you. Second, try to talk less. We often get in trouble because we just don't know when to shut up. Third, listen more. And listen for understanding. If you show someone that you understand them, it allows for you to have a deeper conversation with them. It even allows for you to disagree, disagree with them while doing so in love. And fourth, cultivate encouragement. When you talk to others, let your first thoughts be, what does this person need? How can I use a word of encouragement to build them up? How, what, what can I say that will make a difference in their life today? And finally, consider making this psalm an aspect of your morning prayers. Psalm 19 verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yeah, I want to encourage you each morning perhaps to read that or think about that so that as you go through the day, you can remind yourself to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to give you the power to be an encourager and not a tearer down. As the band comes up, we want to be, we want Jesus to build a community of faith uh, through us in which people speak about us like they spoke about Gaius and Demetrius, don't we? We want people outside the church to go, these people are like Gaius and Demetrius. They love. They encourage. We don't want people going, oh, yeah, I used to go to that church. They're all like Diotrephus. Not that they might know his name. But we don't want that, do we? So whether you're visiting here for the first time or you've been coming on and off to this church or whether you're a long-term attendee or whether you're a long-term member of this church, I want you to know that this is, an, this is a characteristic 
the characteristic, characteristic of cultivating a culture of encouragement is what we are seeking to be on about in this church at Mooney Ponds Baptist. This is one of our core commitments. This is, what, this is how we want to behave. This is us. This is what we want, to, we want to move into. And so if you want to make Mooney Ponds Baptist Church your spiritual home, this is what we want you to sign up for. This is what, what I need you to do for me and I want to do for you. And this is what we want to work together on. And this is what we want to grow together in. And this is what we need to encourage each other to do and be. And this is what we need to pray for and to seek strength for from the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you come and fill us with your Spirit today so that we can be a people who are cultivating encouragement with one another. Thanks, Jess.